In the last 10 years, our field has gone from an unknown specialty to a household name. This brings unprecedented opportunities, but we need to rise up to meet them and give our patients the care that they deserve. In order to help others get better, we need to be better. This podcast will help you to become more confident with your patients, more successful in your practice or business, and a leader in pelvic health. And we're going to have some fun along the way. Join us as we rise together. We're Jesse and Nicole Cozine, founders of Pelvic Sanity Physical Therapy and the creators of the Pelvic PT Huddle. And this is Pelvic PT Rising. Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of the Pelvic PT Rising Podcast with Jesse and Nicole Cozine. Hey Nicole. Hello. We are talking today about male pelvic pain in our A Missing Piece series. I think most of you guys have heard at least one of these. If not, you might want to go back and take a look at some of the other episodes we've done. But a missing piece is not the missing piece, but it's something that Nicole feels is often overlooked or brushed over or maybe just done later in a plan of care than might be optimal. So we're going to be talking about that today for male pelvic pain. Two announcements before we dive into today's topic. One is just pay attention. We are going to be having upcoming interviews with all of the Pelvicon speakers on the podcast. We are so excited. People like Michelle Lyons, Jessica Drummond, Sarah Reardon, Yenny, UC, Jake Bartholomew, Manira, Taryn. Like the fact that we can say these people's names and like first names and people know who it is. Yeah, it's a big deal. And we're going to continue get excited about this because... As part of their interview, we are going to continue a missing piece series and ask them what a missing piece is for some of the topics that they're going to be talking about at Pelvicon. So do not worry. Do not fret. It is going to continue. And it'll be interesting because like I've, we've already done one on diastasis. And so it'll be interesting to see if Manira chooses to talk about diastasis and her missing piece. If it's the same, uh, we can have a good clinical discussion about that. So perfect. Pay attention to for those. Next is if you are a current business owner, be paying attention for the Pelvic PT Business Accelerator Program. We are going to be announcing more details on that on Thursday. There's already more than 100 of you guys on the wait list. We are so excited We actually think this is going to completely revolutionize the way business coaching is in this space. We want it to be something that is affordable, something that is specific, something that's effective, something that builds you into a community, and something that you actually enjoy doing that's fun. Because building a business does not necessarily have to be a grind or a slog, and we really want to help with that. So be paying attention to that, but that is the six-month coaching intensive program that is going to take your business to the next level, and we will be announcing more details on that next episode. Also, one other thing before we get going, we had asked you guys to always love when you guys are leaving reviews and stars that helps people find the podcast, but more importantly, just makes us feel really great. That's not more important that we feel great. <laughs> I mean, come on. It's, you know, but it's kind of lonely it is actually, talking to this it is. microphone here. And, you know, Shantae Cofield, who also has a really awesome podcast, she always talks about podcasting being interesting because it's very one directional. Like, we are sitting here in our, out our bar area at our kitchen, like, just talking into this microphone, and we love it when you guys repost stuff into your stories, t- put your takeaways into Instagram and like also share the podcast with 
your own followers. Um, it, that is really cool for us to see because it, it shows that you're picking up what we're putting down. You're gaining something from the podcast. So we love hearing feedback like that. And we do love getting reviews and they really does help us. Yeah. A couple of recent ones. One from Renee just says, awesome. This podcast is awesome. I learn at least one new thing each episode. Thank you so much for the time and effort you put into this podcast. There was another one I was really impressed. I started listening to this podcast in January. I've listened to almost every episode now. You must be going through this at, that's a lot of episodes. That's a lot of episodes. It's 300 awesome. plus episodes. So you're blowing through them. You might be doing it at 1.3 speed. What? I listen to ours at 1.3. I'll be honest with you guys. Do you guys, you speed up podcasts, Nicole? Sometimes it depends. Yeah. I like it ours. depends on how, it depends on how fast the podcaster is speaking. So sometimes someone is speaking really slow and I'm like, okay, we got to do it up to like two times speed. And sometimes I'm like, ooh, I really want to see like how they're inflecting their words and all that kind of stuff. So I think 1.3 is the perfect. Write us in. Let us know what you listen to it on regular speed. Did you even know that you could do that? And what your favorite speed is to listen to us with that? And then love it. This is my favorite podcast. In the past, all content I've ever listened to on pelvic health has been so dry. Nicole makes pelvic health so fun and exciting. I can feel her passion and energy. Woohoo! That makes me excited. Guys, thank you so much for doing that. If you have a second, it really does mean a ton to us. And we love that ability to communicate with you guys. So let's dive in, Nicole. Male pelvic pain and a missing piece. So what is the missing piece you feel like for male pelvic pain? There is not a male patient that comes into my office where I do not assess and usually treat the spermatic cord. We're going to go into why, the contents of it, what that is, how we can treat it better. But it is a huge missing piece that I think many people just brush over and go straight to the pelvic floor or just straight to breathing like we all (laughs) have a tendency to do and we don't know what the hell's going on. But I think the spermatic cord is a huge missing piece and the way that we can treat it is really helpful and can really get a lot of bang for our buck in terms of treatment approaches that are effective pretty quickly as well. So let me ask this before we get kind of dive in. I feel like this term male pelvic pain is one of those ones that's almost so broad as to be unhelpful. When we think about male pelvic pain, is that just like a guy who has pain anywhere? Like if I have tailbone pain, is that male pelvic pain? If I've got hip pain, is that male pelvic pain? If I've got bladder type pain, is that male pelvic? Like where do we draw the line and and how should we think about that? Because I feel like, I mean, it would be almost as silly as just saying a woman walks in with like female pelvic pain. And you're like, wait, is this vulvodynia or endo or IC or pedental neuralgia or dyspareunia or what's going on? So I think you're hitting on a great point that I think all of us need to make sure that we're not lumping together all males in one category and saying that just because they have pain somewhere in between their hips and their knees, that like, that that's what's called male pelvic pain. Remember that they also have appropriate diagnoses like Jesse just mentioned, pedental neuralgia, coccidinia, chronic prostatitis, interstitial cystitis. Those can be pretty much used interchangeably. Like they have all kinds of that kind of pain as well with an actual diagnosis with that it can be also sometimes helpful and unhelpful even more. So like, for instance, if a male comes in and they have cox, they're diagnosed with coccidinia, that still means that we need to be assessing and doing a differential diagnosis 
on what is the problem, what is the tissue that's causing the issue, what is the underlying why, why they're having that pain. But I do think that sometimes when we're talking amongst ourselves, male pelvic pain also means male or penis owner specific types of pain. So penile pain, testicular pain, scrotal pain can also be kind of lumped into that male pelvic pain category. Tip of the penis pain? Tip of the penis pain. So for all purposes of this podcast, we're specifically talking about, we're lumping in male pelvic pain with, and we're going to specifically talk about testicular pain, groin pain in that region, inguinal canal region, and maybe a little bit of perineal pain in there in this whole conversation. But those are some of the Hallmark signs of testicular type pain. Got it. Junk pain. (laughs) As Jesse likes to call it, junk pain. This is why I should not be the one categorizing different things, guys. But okay, so talk to me, Nicole, about the spermatic cord. First of all, just for anybody who doesn't know, because I clearly do, what the hell is a spermatic cord? All right. So a lot of people get the inguinal canal and the spermatic cord mixed up and they talk about it as one and the same and it's not. So the spermatic cord runs in the inguinal canal. So there's a couple of other structures that run in the inguinal canal with the spermatic cord, but the spermatic cord itself is made up of nine parts. Wait, hold on. Before you get into that, and maybe everybody here knows what the inguinal canal is, is this like above my penis or below my penis? I'm not joking. Don't look at me. (laughs) It's, a, it's like in your your hip crease. Okay, got it. Basically, that's what I would say to like a patient. Got it. In my hip. Okay, okay. Go ahead. Nine parts of this chromatic <laughs> cord. Oh man. Okay. So I feel like this is an area where like you know more about. You probably know more about female anatomy, physiology, and diagnoses of pelvic floor dysfunction than male stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, you thought, I think somebody wrote in and thought it was funny that I didn't know why we're turning our head and coughing. I still don't. Nicole didn't bother explaining that to me after our last episode. So yeah, I have literally no idea. When you said spermatic cord, we were doing this episode and Nicole takes a quick look and does a couple little notes. And then kind of my job is to play the dumb audience here and just like ask the questions that, you know, I think that some of you guys might have. You're calling everybody dumb. I mean... (laughs) You know, just want to make sure that I'm asking the questions when you start going into like, oh, nine different pieces. I'm like, wait, wait, where is this thing actually? What are we actually talking about? Yeah. So, no, I do not know where my spermatic cord is. And I would guess it would be weird if a guy knew where his spermatic cord is. If Like if I was in the locker room at a gym and someone's like, man, my spermatic cord is hurting. I'd be like, what the hell are you talking about? Weirdo. Get the hell out of here. Weirdo. I'm just trying or to Or really a very much enlightened person. Weirdo. Okay. (laughs) Weirdo. Even if you know that stuff, you keep it quiet in the locker room, man. Oh, geez. Here we go. Okay. Anyways, moving on to better things. Nine pieces of the spermatic cord. So there's a way to, everyone talks about this when you're learning anatomy, that there's like the rule of three and how you can remember what's in the spermatic cord. So it's three fascial layers, three arteries, and three nerves. Now, and three other. So there's actually, they say nine things. Some people say 12 whatever. Bottom line that there's a shit ton of stuff in there. And uh, for our purposes, what we care a ton about is that there's a ton of blood flow going into this area, both from going to the area and leaving. So arteries and veins and nerves. So of note, the ilioinguinal nerve goes in here, the genital branch of the genital femoral nerve 
and a lot of sympathetic nerves. So right there, we already know that we care a ton about this structure because if it is getting compressed, not moving well, has lymphatic blockage, doesn't have good blood flow, has a muscle that is creating tension in this region, the area of which all of those structures are running through gets compressed and unhealthy and can cause a lot of pain at the end unit, which in this case is the testicles and the penis. So the end unit, the end unit. So we care a lot about what's in this area. There's also three fascial layers. It's actually pretty complex, but what we're going to make it easier in this podcast by just saying basically the external spermatic fascia is an extension of the external oblique fascia. And there's a lot more that goes on with that, but you can basically think of the fact that the external oblique is really important in also treating the contents of the spermatic cord. Also, the middle layer of the spermatic cord fascia includes the cremaster muscle, which has connections to and originates in the internal oblique and the transversus abdominis, the inguinal ligament, and the pubic bone, and then goes to the testicles to retract them as as that, and it's innervated by the genital branch of the genital femoral nerve. So this is all extremely important because some of the symptoms that patients feel in their testicular region are things like, I feel like my balls are sucked up, up into my stomach and I can't, it doesn't feel like they can let go. Or I just have a lot of pain there. I feel like there's a lot of cramping in that area. They will also have a euphemism for groin pain, right? So groin pain can be a euphemism for all of this actual testicular scrotal and sometimes even penile pain. If you've had a history of a surgery in that area, varicocere repair, a um, vasectomy. vasectomy. I was going to say the snippety snip surgery. If you have any a hernia surgery, because some of the way that you can repair with mesh an inguinal hernia can disrupt the contents of the and the glide and slide that needs to happen with the spermatic cord. Also, hip flexor injuries and overactivity and use of those muscles can influence this as well as, and I hope that you guys have made the connection now, if you have a faulty like biomechanical or motor control issue with your abdominal muscles and are overusing those muscles or are having a pressure management issue with lifting heavy weights and bracing in an inefficient way or an overactive way, all of those things can influence the health of the spermatic cord and the contents of it. Okay, so let me back up for a second. Let's say I'm coming into the office for scrotal pain. And why is this a missing piece? If all of this stuff seems as important as you're saying it, it has nine bits or 12 bits or all the different bits that are important and it connects and all that. What is the temptation if I come into someone's office? What am I probably going to be getting instead of this? What makes it a missing piece? I feel like a lot of us would jump right to, oh, this must be a pelvic floor overactivity problem, which is probably present with these kinds of symptoms, especially if they've been there for a long time. So it's really hard to have 
testicular pain without pelvic floor muscle overactivity. But I feel like what we'd go to would be kind of the same thing that we do with all of our patients. It's like, let's look at breathing and then let's immediately go to the pelvic floor. And we forget about all the intricate connections of both direct treatment and assessment of the spermatic cord and also all of those fascial attachments that I was talking about with the indirect way to assess and treat this area. So that's why it's a missing piece. I feel like we usually would just kind of default to, oh, it's probably the pelvic floor. And also, let me just start you with breathing and get your stress down and all that kind of stuff without actually taking a look at, is there a pain generating structure issue in this action, in the contents of this inguinal canal or, or in this spermatic cord? And we can do direct treatments there. We can also do indirect treatments there. And then we can also a lot of times figure out like the why is in the details of this region. Got it. So I want to hear more about like the treatment side of it as we get going there. But before that, so is this something that you're assessing like on the initial evaluation, like 100% of the time it's that important or... Are you still doing breathing and more pelvic floor on the initial evaluation, looking at spermatic cord later? What's the progression? I personally, in most of my evaluations, are is I prioritize internal assessment. So we are doing an internal assessment most often with all of the caveats, getting consent, making sure everybody's all good to go with it, making sure they understand why. But for us, we prioritize internal treatment. So I'm definitely doing internal treatment. And then when I get to the external part of the evaluation, what we're looking at is how much time do I have? And are there specific symptoms that might be related to this area? If the answer is yes, which it usually is, then this might be the thing that we choose to prioritize to evaluate externally. And I might skip a back or SI joint thing I might skip a hip, an in-depth hip assessment. I might skip some of that stuff because I'm actually going to look at the fascial connections of the abdomen, actually palpating into that area where the spermatic cord is and palpating up and under the testicles externally so that we can sort of see, can we elicit a symptom reproduction here? Um, Is this something that we are finding objective things that we can work on that might be creating some of this, the symptoms, like all of that. So I might defer something else like a movement analysis or something like that because this area is so important. So, and even if you do defer, you're going to be, you're basically going to be looking at the spermatic cord within the first two visits. For sure. For sure. Yes. hundred percent. And, and or, if you weren't going to, if you were somebody who doesn't do internal or doesn't like to prioritize internal on the first visit, then this would a hundred percent be something you'd look at. Yeah. Because I would then also do this with the abdominal wall, external assessment and, or add it into the hip. Like it's right there. So if you're going to be looking at the abdominal wall, you might as well just also add this in. It doesn't take that much more time. Or if you're not going to do the abdominal wall because you're running out of time, but somebody has a history of a hip injury, then in your hip evaluation, you can also add this in because it's also right there. And with your hips, you also need to be looking at 
adductors and pubic rami and ischial rami, like attachment points and all that kind of stuff as well. So like when you're already there, you just need to add this little piece in to see if this is a contributing factor or not. And if so, how much it is that like, those are the things that I'm thinking about in my head. Okay. So, and then uh, we dive into the treatment techniques. First of all, like where would somebody learn if they've never done spermatic cord things? Is this just something that they have the basic skills already? It's just the normal palpation type stuff you've already learned. It's just doing it in a different area. Is there a course? Like where, where did you learn how to do spermatic cord treatment? This is where you guys, I think, honestly, I use soft tissue palpation assessment and treatment things that I learn in different courses and apply it by using anatomy, physiology. Like I, I think this time I just like looked in an anatomy book and was like, ah, oh, interesting. Okay, so if I follow this this way, I can palpate this here. And then I, I mean, I happen to have a mentor that I could like confirm that with. But yeah, I mean, there's a couple of very pretty specific techniques that I think once I was sort of already kind of there, I was like looking up fascial mobilization of the spermatic cord, I think like online. And I think I found like some YouTube videos or something to do. And I was like, oh, cool. Like that's already sort of what I'm doing. And then just like, used some of the approximation techniques, some of the distraction techniques, some of the other connective tissue, soft tissue techniques that I'd already known and then just applied it to that area with using anatomy. And then it's like, then you look and make sure like, is your patient getting better? And it's like, oh my gosh, it was like, when I started to look at this more frequently, then I was like, oh my gosh, everyone's like, loves it. Everyone feels amazing after. And it was starting to get some good results. And so then I was just like, and this is the next piece, you guys. Like when you find something like that, then I immediately start doing it on everybody. Like every single person. At that point, I don't even care if you have testicular pain or not. I'm just like, what does something feel like if you don't have testicular pain? I want to see like, what does that area feel like in someone that doesn't exhibit those symptoms? And so then you can find those asymptomatic, dysfunctional people, right? So they don't have symptoms, but they might still have a lot of issues or that's exhibiting as hip pain in somebody, but not testicular pain. So then you just start treating it in a, or assessing it in a lot of people. And then you can kind of figure out, you start to see patterns and then that's where the pattern recognition starts to come in. But you can't have pattern recognition when your N equals like five, you have to have it like a lot. So, and I was even doing this, I mean, women have inguinal canals too. So they don't have spermatic cords, obviously, but then some of the like ligaments to the uterus and stuff are in that area. So I was like, okay, cool. Well, if men have that, then what's the contents of the inguinal canal for females? And then you start to go, and then does that help people with endo? And does that help people with, you know, other types of period pain and prolapse and all that kind of stuff? And it's like, the answer is yeah. But specifically getting back to this, like you just need to start doing it using anatomy and physiology and this podcast. And then also some of the other soft tissue techniques and just come that you already know, like this is where you already know you don't need to go to another course to be like, Oh, where am I going to learn about spermatic cord mobilization? You just need to do it and then pay attention and feel and, and not just palpate and push and like poke your patient in that region. I want you to like, let your hands like sink into the tissue where do you feel the tissue? Put your hands on the, the beginning or the opening of the, 
where the inguinal canal is and the spermatic cord enters and then where does it end up? Like underneath the testicles. I want you to put your hands in both of those places and move them together and see, does it slide? Does it glide? Is there tension that is that you can feel pulling in some region? Like then you have to just freaking pay attention to what you're, what you're feeling. So I think this is a little bit of a tangent, but I think it's really important. It goes back to a lot of times your, your point, Nicole, many times we don't necessarily need another clinical course or a specific course on the very exact thing we're doing. It's taking these foundational skills that you already have. It's taking a look at the anatomy or being encouraged by something like this podcast or just being curious and then having the confidence to try something and kind of pay attention to the results. Like you have a hypothesis, you test it, and then you see what's going on. Well, this is another good example too of like, there's no one right way to like treat somebody, but here's what I want you to do. Like if next time you have somebody come in that potentially has some of these symptoms, and I want you to like, literally like look at the area. If it's swollen, then we might choose to do a different intervention to help the lymphatic system versus if when you palpate that area, you elicit a nerve symptom, then we might want to take a nerve look at what's going on. And in this case, knowing anatomy, then you're going to be like, well, what's in there? Well, the ilioinguinal nerve and the genital branch of the genitofemoral nerve. Awesome. Where does that originate? L1, 2, and sometimes 3. Perfect. Now guess what? That If you palpate in that region and you feel fascial tension and you elicit some sort of numbness, tingling, nervy type symptom, burning, itching, something like that with your patient, then it's like, great. Now my next thing is now looking along the entire path of that nerve. Well, that starts up at the lumbar spine, which now I need to look at lumbar spine, actual joint stuff and movement that might affect the thoracolumbar junction, right? And then we're going to say, where else does that nerve travel? Well, the genitofemoral nerve pierces through the psoas. Is this person doing things that are having a hip flexor problem? Maybe. Are they sitting a lot? Fine. Is it weak? We need to strengthen it. Like now you have like a way to look at how am I going to affect this area all by looking and making sure that you are taking into account the anatomical thing of what this structure is that you have a hypothesis of what, what it's going for. Cool. So I hope that that gives you guys some new things to be thinking about with your penis holding patients. But yeah, I think this is an important missing piece, Nicole. And penis holding? <laughs> you say penis holding. Penis owner patients. I think penis holding. <laughs> they also do that. Yeah. <laughs> that was actually really funny. I mean, everyone who's married out there knows exactly what we're talking about. It's like, yep, your hand's on your junk again. <laughs> if, if you have a penis, you're, you're holding it quite a bit. Yeah, you guys are obsessed with it. So annoying. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, but now I learned something owners. new about it. There's spermatic cord it, in the hips, in the hip crease. Yes. Okay. Yes. Perfect, guys. <laughs> well, we do this podcast so that I can learn a little bit more about my anatomy. So I very much appreciate it. But I hope this has been really helpful for you guys. We've gotten so many great comments back on this A Missing Piece series. I hope this gives you the confidence and the really just the direction to take a look at this in some of your patients and see what the results are. And then go from there. So if you have questions about this, always please reach out. Let us know. Shoot Nicole the DM. We would love to keep this conversation going. And let's continue to rise. <laughs>